Welcome to Inside the Treehouse, where great authors come to hang out. My name is Jeff Jones. I'm the host of Inside the Treehouse, and Solution Tree is the sponsor of Inside the Treehouse. Today, I've got a special guest that kind of wears multiple hats in the education industry, uh, was an educator, was an administrator, is an author, is an associate, has been a keynoter, and is now executive vice president of Solution Tree in charge of technology products, sales, and marketing. So inside the Treehouse guest today is Dr. Cameron Rains. So welcome, Dr. Rains, to Inside the Treehouse. We're glad you're here today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Excited to chat. Yeah. So we're going to get into your uh, current role at Solution Tree in just a little bit and kind of your uh, circuitous route on how you ended up at the tree after a couple of other career adventures. Um, but let's go all the way back to the beginning. You're a Hoosier, born and raised, as am I. And uh, you were born and raised in another town in Indiana that stole its name from some other place. So uh, what town did you grow up in? I was. I grew up in a, a small town in Indiana called Portland. So uh, if you're familiar with Indiana, about 30 minutes northeast of Muncie on the Indiana and Ohio line. Just a little town and little farm town and uh, it was a good experience. How little is little? That's because there's different people have different perspectives. Yeah, you know, I want to say when uh, I was growing up, it was uh, less than less than 25,000 uh, in the community. So, Heck, that's huge. We were 22,000 in Laporte, 25,000. <laughs> it's smaller than that now. It's smaller <laughs> than that now for sure. And then uh, for another perspective, how many in your high school graduating class? Uh, so 230-ish in my graduating class. Interestingly enough, we started as the, one of the largest classes in a while to go through a, a, over 330, and we lost 100 uh, from freshman year to senior year, which isn't a remarkable stat. <laughs> where did where did you lose these people? <laughs> uh, yeah, they just didn't make it through the high school experience. So uh, there was room for improvement there, for sure. <laughs> So that's not what drove you into education, but uh, tell us what you folks did and your siblings when you were growing up. What was life like in Portland, Indiana? Yeah, it was very much uh, the the son of educators. So um, my dad taught sixth grade for a number of years, about about 10 years, nine years to be exact, and then uh, was a principal at almost every level, um, elementary and middle school uh, for sure. Uh, and he did that for about 30 years. And wow. so I was in schools all the time, all weekend, <laughs> evenings, the, the typical educator life. My mother uh, started off, uh, she taught special education, she taught PE, she did a lot of things on the teaching front, and then eventually became a school psychologist and a director of special education in Indiana uh, for a few different school districts. So uh, very much the the son of educators, my family. A lot of them are in education. So my sister is uh, an educator, a, a kindergarten teacher. My wife is an educator. Uh, she teaches fifth grade. Uh, my mother-in-law is a school nurse uh, in a school in, in our hometown. Um, my grandmother-in-law was a, a high school secretary um, just across the Ohio line in a, a small school over there. Um, my, my grandmother was an educator, was a teacher. So 
uh, a lot of educators in the family and um, have a brother who's in construction management. So he's definitely uh, doesn't have as much to talk about at the dinner table. <laughs> giving time. So outside of that, all, almost uh, all educators in the family. That's great. Well, in, in Portland, Indiana, I can't imagine you got away with very much with the uh, profile of your parents in Def- a time like that. Definitely not. In fact, uh, when I did get into some mischief in school, the, the call was just to my dad, who was a principal in the district uh, where I went to school. And it was always he would deal with it when he gets home. So <laughs> those punishments were always worse than anything that, uh, that I could have received at school. So. Well, a couple of your peers have kind of ratted you out and said you had a lot of mischief when you were in school. There was a there was a good amount uh, of of putting my toes right up to that line. (laughs) For sure. So did you get involved in sports? I mean, a little town like that, I think we all got involved in sports. Even uh, I think you're a little bit more athletic than I am, but we all got involved in sports. Yeah, definitely. That was that was kind of the thing to, to do in a small town growing up. So, uh, yeah, try, tried about everything. Uh, played baseball for a number of years, uh, played soccer, uh, played basketball uh, in high school, mostly uh, mostly soccer. I was really into that. So, yeah, but tried a lot of sports in high school. So very cool. Then tell us about Tech College. Where did you head off to to go to college? Yeah, so I went to Indiana University in Bloomington, um, was a business major for two years, and then uh, started substitute teaching on breaks. And after about two days of that, um, in my sophomore year at IU, I decided that that's what I wanted to do and switched my major and went into elementary education. And uh, a few years later, got my degree and, and started my teaching career. So did you, when you say you did it on breaks, was you would go back to Portland and yep. uh, uh, be at home with mom and dad and they recruited you to be a substitute teacher because they needed a sub? Uh, yeah. So worked for the district back home for sure. That's that's how it went. Um, mostly at the elementary and middle school level. Did a, a few um, jobs at the high school level. Um, but yeah, so the college... Uh, as we all recall, the college schedule was quite nice, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're right. out of class as much as you're in it. So uh, so certainly during the winter breaks, um, you know, spring breaks, et cetera, school was in the summer. School was still in session back home. So I was able to to sub uh, at all substitute teach during all those times and loved every minute of it. So why do I sense this was a recruiting hook by your mother and father <laughs> to get you back in education? Could have been. Yeah. It, the, the sub shortage um, back then wasn't as bad, but certainly uh, they were always looking for good substitute teachers. Uh, I think that's been universal for many decades and even more so now. <laughs> so there was definitely some of that. <laughs> Stay away from that capitalist pig world and come at education where you belong. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, so you switched over your junior, sophomore, junior year to education, elementary or? Yeah, so went into elementary education and um, that's really found my passion there working with uh, with students. I think uh, third, fourth grade was was the sweet spot for me that I enjoyed the most, um, but, but yeah. Elementary, for sure, was my path. Great school of education at IU. Really, yeah. really strong. It was a stellar uh, experience for me, that's for sure. So did you, was, was the lure to bring you back to Portland? Uh, there was some. Obviously, my, my dad would have liked to have had me close. Um, but I ended up student teaching uh, in the 
just south of Indianapolis uh, in a, a school district called uh, Clark Pleasant Community Schools. And um, student taught in fourth grade and loved that and was offered a job uh, at the end of my student teaching and um, couldn't turn that down. And actually, uh, my first teaching job was in the school that I student taught in uh, the semester before. So I was pretty fortunate to to kind of start off that way. And know That's excellent. Yeah, know a lot of the kids, know the staff. It was fun. Then how long were you there? Because did you come from there to Monroe County Community Schools? Yeah, so I taught... Um, Taught third grade, fourth grade um, for about five years, and then um, was an instructional coach for a brief stint as well, and then did some uh, administrative work all in Clark Pleasant right before then coming to Monroe County Schools in Bloomington, and then um, got my first uh, district office position, administrative position as director of elementary education uh, in Monroe County Schools. I believe 2008 or 2009, somewhere in there is when I started in Bloomington. That was a great experience as well. So when you went central administration in 2008 or 2009, and you were in charge of elementary, uh, yeah. I think that that's somewhere in that time frame is where we met the first time. Yep. Um, I knew you before that. that. I knew you before that. You didn't know me before There's that. There's a lot of Jeff. <laughs> I'm not taking credit for all that. Um, when, uh, when you took this position and, uh, this is all audio, not video, you looked about 12 years old at <laughs> that job. Yeah. At the time I didn't check, but at the time, many other people uh, informed me, I was the, at the time, the youngest district administrator in the state, uh, and, and looked even younger than I was. So I was 29 at the time, um, when I got that job and, uh, I did look young. And so, uh, in fact, at the, the board meeting where the board approved me, uh, the board president made asked the question afterwards, who was going to drive me around to all the schools? Oh, <laughs> um, driver's license. So that one kind of hurt. I thought, man, I need to grow a beard, grow a beard or do something, dye my hair gray, do something that's going <laughs> to going to change this trajectory. So well, your facial hair looks good, but trust me, the gray hair will come on its own. <laughs> let, it, let that happen. So how long were you at Monroe County Community Schools? Yeah, so I was there um, as director of elementary education for uh, four years. And then I uh, went back to Clark Pleasant um, and served as assistant superintendent. Um, the, the draw there was uh, getting to serve uh, pre-K through 12. And so uh, in Bloomington, I was, I was serving elementary students, the, the pre-K through six uh, population. And so wanted to broaden my horizons a bit and, uh, and, and get into the middle school and high school world uh, as it pertained to curriculum instruction assessment. And it turned out lots of other things as well, but that was the, the original plan. So, And is, was that your passion, the curriculum part of it or the assessment? I loved, I loved the instructional leadership side of things, loved uh, curriculum instruction and assessment, um, loved being able to take um, you know, systems and structures that were in place that weren't necessarily all aligned and uh, work with teams to, to, to big groups of people, big teams, uh, to get them into alignment so that they're supporting students in, in better ways. And, um, you know, really enjoyed the watching that the, the impact that that had on students and, the, you know, the, the way that, you know, that made teachers jobs a little bit easier, which I think in this day and age is uh, necessary and needed uh, more so probably than any other time. So yeah, I loved every minute of all that stuff. So you ended up getting your master's and where'd you get your doctorate? 
yeah, so got, got my master's also from IU, um, Bloomington, and then uh, got my doctorate from Ball State University. Okay. So during the course of all this, well, I guess let's go back to your doctorate for a second. What was your, what was your uh, dissertation about? Uh, so my dissertation was a meta-analysis on uh, some of the effective schools correlates. Okay. Uh, I was, uh, again, interested in school improvement um, and, you know, had the, the privilege and pleasure to have met um, Bob Marzano through, through all of you uh, in my time in, in Bloomington. And we had done some work together and that was an area that he and I had talked about um, being kind of a gap. Uh, and so I thought it'd be fun to kind of dig into, dig into that uh, with my doctorate. Yeah. The correlates that Ron Edmonds originally started with the effective schools is truly the shoulders that uh, PLCs and higher liability schools are built off of both. Not about it. Yeah. A life gone way too short was Dr. Edmonds. For sure. Um, so let's, let's dive into your, work with Bob Marzano because he had uh, framed out higher liability schools. Uh, He would become part of the research on that, work with that, and then it morphed into higher liability teachers. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, um, you know, Bob had sent me uh, what he called at the time a white paper on high reliability schools that took the concept of high reliability organizations uh, that are you know, fairly common in, in other fields and applied those concepts to the school environment. Uh, and so that was super appealing, obviously being a person that believed that all students can and should learn at high levels um, and that as adults that work in the school environment, we should do everything that we can to ensure that that happens. Uh, it had natural appeal to, to someone like me, um, but was able to dig into that and just look at you know, the, the way Bob took complex things uh, like an instructional framework and, and made it doable uh, and achievable for every school out there. So, uh, you know, he at the time uh, had extended the offer to our district um, to become a pilot school uh, for that model. And so I uh, was fortunate that the school board at the time uh, and our interim superintendent uh, said, yep, they thought that'd be a, a great thing. And so we we dove in head first and um, did several years of work uh, working to become uh, a district of high reliability schools. Had uh, many of the first uh, HRS high reliability school level one, two, three, and four certifications in the country. Um, and so the, the school teams are amazing. Uh, we had great leaders. We had great educators. Uh, great staff all around really doing that work on behalf of kids uh, and generated some pretty awesome and positive results during that time as well. So it was a a fun time and it was a rewarding time in terms of uh, knowing the the positive impact that the results were were showing for kids. This is a time when when Bob was much more engaged with the day-to-day of uh, Marzano Research at the time uh, before it became resources after we sold the research lab. Um, But I know how much he enjoyed working with you uh, and the energy that came out, especially having a school that was implementing it to the fidelity that he wanted done. I mean, he just, it just would light him up when he'd talk about it. So it was great. He's very fond of you personally and professionally. (laughs) Well, likewise, he's always been a, he was someone I looked up to for many years. His, um, you know, his work through books mostly and hearing him speak had profound impacts uh, on me in the classroom. And so 
getting the chance to meet him um, in 2009 uh, and then subsequently do do work with him uh, was was certainly uh, a super exciting time in my life for sure. So you took the lead, basically, his name may be on it first, I'm not, don't recall, on higher liability teachers. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. So uh, actually, Bob, it, it was kind of born <laughs> at a, a an evening. He was in town. We were doing some work around high reliability schools and he and I had gone to dinner and it was his treat. So naturally, we ended up at TGI Fridays at the <laughs> Greenwood Park Mall. Uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, we were talking about uh, the concepts of high reliability and how that could also apply, you know, not just in the school environment, but at the individual teacher level and at the classroom environment. And, uh, you know, that that evening we started to brainstorm some of the components uh, based on our experience and the, the research that we would want to include. And just we're asking the question, would it make sense to develop a model for teachers that teachers could pursue uh, to, to try to ensure you know, the best results possible uh, in their classroom. And so that that's really how it started. And then about a week and a half later, we had about a two or three page document that kind of bulleted out all of the, the components. And then we, a couple of weeks later, we'd started to break it down into, into levels. Um, you know, there are some things that you would naturally work on first, second, third, so on. Um, and then we began piloting that also the the so that was uh in the late winter of i can't even remember the year uh i want to say about 2015 ish uh and by the next fall we were we were piloting the model uh in minnesota and in indiana uh and you know we're getting rave reviews from the teachers that were involved um and decided it it would make sense to make that uh, offering available across the country so that's really how how it started. And so we tried some things. We learned a lot. Um, we made some changes. And I think what we have today is, uh, you know, uh, the high reliability teacher uh, program is one that when teachers go through it, they really end up uh, with all the tools that they need to constantly get better over the course of a career. So uh, pr- pretty proud of that work for sure. It's not easy, obviously. Um but we think it's every bit as rigorous as, uh, and, maybe, and probably more so uh, than national board certification. Uh, and you know, we teach teachers to validate their results, uh, to make sure that from a statistical perspective, the results they're seeing in their classrooms are valid and reliable. So um, all good stuff, all fun stuff and work that continues with, I'm not as involved on a day-to-day basis anymore, but uh, work that continues uh, with with Bob and uh, Dr. Shelley Geese and lots of uh, associates who are working with individual teachers uh, through that process. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool process. All right. Then I remember the day that I lured you away from uh, public education to Solution Tree at that Starbucks in Greenwood. (laughs) I remember as well. (laughs) So talk about the transition from going from uh, a career in education that is extremely successful at Clark Pleasant, Monroe County, then back at Clark Pleasant. Talk about transitioning from there then into the corporate world, because you did have a business background of two years. I know you you do a lot of reading of business books. You study business on your own. You have a, a, a passion for that as well. But talk about the transition. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was concerned, obviously, about the transition. I remember having a lot of questions for you <laughs> uh, because I'd been a lifelong 
educator and you know it's uh it can be it can seem intimidating or or maybe daunting um switching careers uh but for me the the comfort was in the work uh and so i had known solution tree uh for you know almost two decades at that time or certainly to over two decades in terms of the, the work that you all uh, were churning out following the plc movement and and all of that stuff closely from the time I was an undergrad in the, the late 90s, all the way through my my teaching career. So there was great comfort in the work that everyone at Solution Tree did. Um, certainly, uh, the mission and vision always spoke to me and resonated even as an educator, you know, advancing the work of our authors, uh, being our mission and our vision, transform education worldwide to ensure learning for all that. Those are things that I can get behind. <laughs> uh, and so there was comfort there. Uh, and then you know, to, to I don't want to say to my surprise, but uh, to, to some extent, to my surprise, um, the the way the company operates is is much more similar to a school district than I think is the case for most uh, businesses. Uh, and so, you know, the way we try to take care of our customers is very similar to the way you know, adults in a school environment try to take care of their students. You know, the we go the extra mile, we do those things, we collaborate, um, you know, work together toward common goals. And so all that piece felt uh, very comfortable. And, you know, it, the transition, it allowed the transition to be a lot more seamless than I thought it might be. And so uh, for me, it was just, it seemed smooth, it felt right. Um, and I've loved every day of it since then. Well, and then you then came along the uh, project. We kind of decided to create uh, Avante, yep. which is the, the product for an individual teacher to develop their instructional strategies and skills. Yep. And uh, you kind of got volunteered or voluntold or recruited into that position, not being an ed tech guy, but you uh, you shepherded that from the concept to uh, creation now to delivery of the product. So yes. what's a little bit about becoming an ed tech expert overnight? Yeah, that was a, a lot of fun. And, you know, what I learned in that process is, um, you, you know, if you give if you give Jeff Jones a lot of ideas about how to make things better, uh, he might put you in charge of. <laughs> so, Be careful. Be careful. <laughs> so, no, no, it was a, a, a fantastic process. I mean, I think, um, you know, being able to assemble assemble a team, um, including some some pretty stellar educators um, that I'd crossed paths with over the, the years as well as um, you know, video, video editors and um, you know, pr project specialists, et cetera, to, to build a platform uh, was exciting. But then thinking about what teachers want and need, uh, the focus groups we were able to have to discuss uh, with hundreds of teachers across the country, you know, what would be beneficial to them, and to really build an ed tech platform, not starting far outside of the classroom and working our way in, but instead starting with the educators who are doing the hard work every day and working our way out and asking the question, you know, how do we make that happen? You know, so, so for example, you know, teachers said loud and clear, we don't have time to, to do 30 minutes of sit and get or 60 minutes or even worse, 90 minutes. You know, we need short, quick bursts uh, that are just in time that I can take and, and then Put some new things in practice in my classroom and so uh, honing in on you know three to five minute clips of of teachers not you know not other folks but classroom teachers who have great strengths in a certain area and being able to 
to capture that, how they do it, what it looks like in their classroom um, for other teachers to kind of watch and be able to, to emulate uh, has been super rewarding. And then of course, seeing what those uh, master educators as well as our content team um, that we pulled out of the classroom uh, at Solution Tree put together in terms of the reproducibles and the, the documents that help teachers take quick next steps um, has been a lot of fun. And then hearing the feedback from people who are using Avanti you know, that they're able to, in 10 to 15 minutes, get a new strategy or two that they want to try in an upcoming lesson and really put it into place and have the support and resources that they need to do that has been rewarding. And then uh, we're excited about the community that's about to launch uh, early in 2023 that will allow people to form their own teams, their own groups, um, and, you know, have their own school, uh, have their own group or a district or a state or just other educators who have similar interests. Um, it opens the doors to collaborating in uh, new and unique ways that we're super excited about. So it's been a great experience. And I think rolling up my sleeves and learning the ed tech side of things um, has been a growing experience for sure, uh, but one that's been a lot of fun. Yeah, well, you build a great team. You've got some wonderful people that are working on it now. And then as uh, we looked at, we being, I work a lot with Ed Ackerman on this about structuring the org chart and where people and places go. And I felt it's time to kind of expand a level underneath Ed. Uh, so we had one executive vice president. We added two more of which you're now one of them. Yeah. And I think the logical position for you would have been to be in charge of publishing professional development and events. And I think you thought that might be where you're Then all of a sudden you're in charge of sales, marketing, and ed tech. <laughs> Yeah, su super grateful. But again, another um, another learning opportunity and one that's important, you know, um, I think to to do the work that we do and to really, as you say, you know, make a dent in this uh, in the world, especially as it when it comes to ensuring that all students learn at high levels, it requires us to to work with lots of schools and districts. And I think, um, you know, it's it's one of those things that when you know something works. Uh, and when you've seen it work in your own practice, when you've seen it work with other schools and districts that you've had the opportunity to interact with, and then when you see the, the results of that from large, you know, longitudinal studies, um, it, 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 it makes it really easy to think about, you know, how do we reach more schools with this? How do we, we reach more districts with this? So uh, it's, you know, only, only been about five months in that new role, but uh, I'm loving every minute of that and the teams that we have in place to, to go out and advance the work of our authors and to transform education. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, to your point, another, another opportunity to roll up our sleeves, dig in and learn and, and grow. So. Well, you're you're great with processes. You're very analytical and data driven, and it proves that you don't have to be a salesperson to run a sales team. You don't have to have a marketing degree to run a marketing team, as long as you've got good sales and marketing people under you, and you can help them look at the data and figure it all out. Which is exactly what you're doing, and and we're seeing great strides, being able to reach a lot more people that are that are searching for the solutions that our authors and and associates are able to provide. So, uh, it's fun to watch watch that grow underneath you as well. So lots and lots more in store for you, Dr. Cameron, but let's get off of work for a second. Let's talk about something a lot more fun. Let's talk about these star athletes that you're raising in your household. <laughs> you have two boys and a daughter, and yep. I know that they're uh, 
basketball players, soccer players. Let's talk about your three kids, how old they are and, and what they're into. Yeah. So I've got uh, two boys and a girl. Uh, my boys are 14 and 12, both in middle school. Uh, you know, interesting experience for them. They're, um, they're attending the largest middle school in the state. So almost again, close to 1800 students. Wow. So, so yeah. Um, and so both, both boys play, um, soccer on the school soccer team. And then of course, uh, travel soccer as well. And then, um, my oldest, they have a seventh and eighth grade basketball team. So he plays basketball as well. And um, my middle son, middle child, who's the son, Jace, uh, he plays basketball on the travel team. They don't have a sixth grade team yet. And then my daughter does a little bit of everything. She plays plays some soccer. She does dance. Um, so anything that you could possibly, she does volleyball. If, if you could sign her up for it at her age, she plays basketball. She says yes. And so the challenge my wife and I have with my youngest is um, pick, picking the things she wants to do the most because we can't do 12 things a year because we can't be in three spots all the time with just the two of us. So it is, uh, it's fun and they certainly keep us on our toes. I think you spend an awful lot of time at events on sporting fields and weekends and during the nights. And I know you don't miss anything. If you can miss, if you can get there, you're there from what I can tell. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's now, are you a vocal parent or are you one that sits and crosses your hands in the stands and, and, and analyze like my dad was a very vocal parent when my brother played basketball, but a very dormant parent because he didn't understand a thing about swimming, which is what I did. But he would analyze my race after every race. We go home that night. He was always talking about, but we had fun. But I so said, are you quiet or are you loud? Yeah. So uh, I think generally I'm quiet unless, unless there's a lack of effort from, <laughs> from any of my kids and then I can get loud. Uh, th- thankfully they're, they, they play pretty aggressively. So um, you don't have to get on them too much, but I always tell them have, have fun, do your best, you know, work hard at it. Um, uh, th- those are the skills really on a, from a sports perspective that w- we want them to take, take away and, and learn and apply to life. So, um, th- that's more important to us for sure than, you know, wins and losses or, right. Um, right. you know, th- doing something at some next level. You know, I, d- I don't know that any of that's in their future, um, or that if they want it to be great, uh, but but really it's those life lessons that that we're wanting them to take out of it. So so yeah, I'm pr- fairly quiet unless there's a lack of effort. And then my boys would say, "You're not quiet then, right?" So. Yeah. <laughs> How about your wife? Yeah, I she's think... very quiet again. Oh, okay, I've seen a lot of like we're uh, hockey parents. Hockey moms are the worst. <laughs> the worst. They're brutal. Yeah, I think all that's changed a little bit. The, the you know, the last couple of decades, what that looked like when I was a kid versus what it looks like now on the parent front is, is completely right. different. <laughs> so. Yeah. And it all depends on the sport, right? It does. I've got a son who rose in college and a daughter who rode in college and you can't cheer. I mean, you see him for like 13 seconds. <laughs> and, go by and It's the worst yeah. spectator sport on the planet. Bar none. <laughs> bar none. So where do you think your daughter's going to head? Do you think she's going to be a soccer player? I don't know. It's still too early to tell. Um, so like I said, she fiddles with soccer, dance, basketball, volleyball, all of it. So um, we keep asking her that and she has a hard time focusing and narrowing it down. So okay. <laughs> we got to wait and see, I think. <laughs> so on a, uh, a more of a home front, um, when I ask a few people get any trivia about Cameron that you can share, things, oh, no. that, 
things that I can talk about that don't embarrass them too much. You know, things you don't want to talk too much about how your shoes have to match your outfits, but apparently that's a thing. Um, <laughs> that is a thing. <laughs> well done. Well done. Let's talk about your gardening. Yeah. Yeah. You've got uh, a significant yard from what yeah. I understand and wildflowers. You're a wildflower guy. Yeah. Well, my wife wanted a wild, wildflower meadow so uh julie and i put that in uh two years ago so so yeah it's just a little patch probably about uh, 30 feet by 50 feet um so but yeah we've got a little wildflower patch we've got a pretty big garden um because you grow really big we grow huge pumpkins yeah 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 to the point where even me and and both boys can't move them we've got to hook a cart with the dump bed up to the mower and <laughs> roll them in if we can. And <laughs> so yeah, it's grow a big pumpkin. You just keep, what do you do? Yeah. Well, I mean, it starts with, with good seeds and good soil, right? So, <laughs> so we, we start there and then, yeah, just let uh, the hot, humid Indiana summers and, and lots of water do the rest. <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun. We had, uh, I think we had our biggest this year and it was over 250 pounds. So oh. we had a hard, a hard time moving that sucker. That's <laughs> so, a lot of pie. Yeah. The kids love uh, at the end, they, we take them out to the field and they, they break them all open with baseball bats. So you know, it takes a, gets a lot of their energy out. It's one night a year where they'll sleep well. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. That is really great. Good stuff. And the only other fun thing that that uh, I'll bring out is uh, your love for 2000s hip hop music. <laughs> but you're also a Guns N' Roses fan with your daughter. I don't Very see how those, two, yeah. I don't know how those two go together. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, it's an eclectic mix for sure. But yeah, so she she uh, she has her dad's affinity for Axl Rose and Guns N' Roses. So <laughs> they're Hoosiers, right? In Axl Rose. Yeah. Yep. He was a Hoosier. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Who would thought that that would come out of the state of Indiana? Literally no one. <laughs> <laughs> not what we're known for. Definitely not. <laughs> not what we're known. Well, talk to us about social media. If people want to follow you on social media, where can they find you? What have you got? Yeah. So I'm not on a lot of the socials, but I am on Twitter, uh, just at Cameron Reigns. Um, and I think that's the only place that I'm really active. So that's probably the best place. All right. Well, you are a tremendous asset to Solution Tree. It is so much fun working with a, a true professional educator on so many different fronts. Um, I think we're making great strides to uh, our vision, which you've already articulated a couple of times, which is kind of a massive vision, but if not us, who, if not now, when, according to Bob Kennedy. So um, thanks for being in the treehouse. Thanks for being a tree dweller. And I'm looking forward to working with you for years and years to come. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Cameron.